The great law schools in America, the fairest court system in the world, uh, some of the best law firms in the world, all those things at one time were innovations, were radical innovations, uh, and were created largely by individuals back in the day. And there are other people today who are trying to adapt those institutions for a new kind of economy. This is Lawyer to Lawyer, the award-winning legal podcast with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi. West Coast meets East Coast, and yes, they are attorneys, bringing you the latest legal news and observations every week with the leading experts in the legal profession. Produced right here on the Legal Talk Network. Welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. We're glad you could listen today. I'm Craig Williams from sunny Southern California. And this is Bob Ambrogi from Massachusetts. I write a blog called Law Sites and also a legal blog watch for law.com. And I write a legal blog called May It Please the Court and have a book out called How to Get Sued. Bob, today's show is sponsored by Clio, web-based practice management at goclio.com and Landy Insurance at landy.com. Well, Bob, with the legal community today that is embracing technology and new media that we're all too familiar with here at the Legal Talk Network, our friends and colleagues in print media are turning to this new media to expand and reach a growing audience. We want to tell you about one leading the pack today. The Legal Rebels Project, created by the American Bar Association Journal, will profile 50 of the profession's leading innovators using videos, audio slideshows, and more. They plan to tell the stories of how, in a struggling economy, innovators are making a difference in the legal community. These innovators are finding new ways to practice law, educating future lawyers, and are ultimately restructuring the legal profession of yesterday. Well, today we're going to learn all about the Legal Rebels Project, a a project that spans print and new media to tell the stories of lawyers and law firms uh, that are reinventing themselves in the current economy. Uh, We're going to take a look in particular at the Legal Rebels Tour 09, which gets underway today here in the Boston area, uh, and we'll make various stops around uh, the United States over the next couple of weeks. So we're lucky to have the uh, folks from the Legal Rebels Tour here in the studio with us today. Joining us first to get this all started uh, are two of the people involved in this project. First of all is Edward A. Adams. Ed is the editor and publisher of the ABA Journal. Ed joined the ABA Journal as editor and publisher in 2006. He had formerly served as a public information officer for the U.S. District Court for the Eastern District of Virginia. And before that, he was a reporter and editor for the New York Law Journal for more than a dozen years. Welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer, Ed Adams. Thanks for having us. Well, our next guest is Rachel M. Zahorsky. She's the legal affairs writer for the ABA Journal. Rachel joined the ABA Journal staff in 2008, and she's interned at the Cook County Public Defender's Office in Chicago, Jenner and Block, and also in Bloomberg News. Welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer, Rachel Zahorsky. Thanks. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, can you tell us how the Legal Rebels Project came to fruition? Let's start with you, Ed. Sure. This started uh, about six months ago. We started to think about this project. And I don't need to tell you, Craig, that you know the last year has been tremendously bad in terms of news for lawyers. Uh, it's been one thing after another, layoffs, pay cuts, hiring freezes. We wanted to try and give our readers a sense of hope, a sense of optimism. We all know this recession is going to end. None of us know when. But after it ends, things are going to be better. But things are also going to be different. I think there's a growing consensus among the lawyers we talk to uh, that the profession is changing in a lot of ways, and it's going to be a different profession that merges 
from this recession than the one that entered it. And we wanted to try and capture that through talking about the lawyers who are most innovative in the profession. And the motto for this uh, project is remaking the profession. Can you tell us what inspired that? Sure. Well, we, th- we saw these lawyers all across the country working in their own corners of the profession who were trying to do things differently. Um, I mean, it ranges all the way from people in law schools who are trying to teach lawyers in a more practical way uh, to people in nonprofits who are looking for different ways beyond simple government funding to provide low-income services, legal services for the poor. Uh, There are people in large law firms who are trying to move away from the billable hour, people in small law firms and solos who are trying to find a different way of, of, of creating a niche. And then lastly, I think... There are lawyers in all those practice settings who are using the tools of the internet, uh, things like Facebook and Twitter, LinkedIn, YouTube, and the ABA's own social media site, LegallyMinded.com, to try and build brands around themselves. And we thought that was an interesting phenomenon. We want to try and capture that in this project as well. You are profiling innovators and rebels. What makes an innovator or a rebel? Well, I I think uh, what makes somebody a rebel is doing something a little differently, um, is is trying to get beyond the status quo. I mean, the thing about the law that I think is often forgotten because we we live it day day in, day out, is of all the professions, the law is so focused on tradition, right? You walk into court, what's the easiest way to convince a judge to side with your client? It's to say, Your Honor, you don't have to do anything that another judge hasn't already done a million times before. Just follow the path that's been well-trod, and my client will win. That's the essence of a litigator's argument. And so it's a profession, I think, that unlike many others, is very wedded to tradition. And it takes someone who is uh, a rebel to try and look beyond that and say there's a different way of practicing law. Because when you think about it, Craig, all of the institutions that we take for granted today, you know, the great law schools in America, the fairest court system in the world, uh, some of the best law firms in the world, all those things at one time were innovations, were radical innovations, uh, and were created largely by individuals back in the day. And there are other people today who are trying to adapt those institutions for a new kind of economy. Rachel, we want to bring you into this discussion, and uh, you are launching this Legal Rebels Tour today here in the Boston area. Uh, tell us a little bit about the tour. Give us the overview of what you're going to be doing. Well, we started. We flew into Boston last night, and we had our first interview this uh, this morning. Um, it was Cheryl Connor, who is trying to. Um, she's implementing a new philosophy within corporations. Um, she teaches an MBA class at Marlboro College, and she's teaching her students to look at corporations, the structure, the management structure of a corporation beyond just bottom line profits, and trying to bring in other things that are important, um, environmental concerns, social concerns, and trying to instill in her students that these are things that should also be the basis of the corporation. She's also spoken about cooperative um, management rather than just having a top-down feel, bringing in more of the employees, bringing in outside voices to kind of shape the corporation. Um, We're going to see a different rebel each day. We visit them in the morning. We shoot video. We do an interview. Um, We've also set up a lot of different activities, whether it's a debate, um, whether it's um, bringing in outside outside people to come in and interview and interact with our rebels, kind of to capture them in their natural environment. 
a lot of our rebels are very media savvy. So we're going to be going through their different means of communication. If they have Twitter models, if they have Facebook pages. Um, one of our rebels, Dan Schwartz, is helping to remake the website for the Connecticut Bar Association rather than the website be something that the lawyers in Connecticut just go to and look at. He wants to remake the site to be something that the lawyers are actually involved in. There's going to be forums for comments. There's going to be places to do CLEs and actually become involved and create a forum and a community because the way the legal profession is now, everyone's time is so valuable that it's really hard to network and socialize with other attorneys in the profession. And he's hoping by creating a social media platform for lawyers to do that, they're going to get back to interacting with each other and being able to network. So how are you going about identifying the people that you select to be rebels? How are you choosing them? Well, we started within our own community at the ABA um, with our reporting staff, our editors, through our sources, saying, hey, who's shaking things up? Who's doing something different? And we really wanted to select people who weren't just talking. If you go to our website, you can see that Everybody has an idea of how the legal profession should change. Commenters on our stories are incredibly vocal, but we wanted someone who was going beyond commenting and actually doing something and doing something that was impacting the profession. Some for good, maybe some not, but the idea was to say these people are impacting, these people are creating change. And it's not just in law firms. We've got in-house counsels. We've got people in academia, people in corporations, some who aren't even attorneys, but their actions are impacting the profession, like Denise Anunciata, who's, a virtu who's founded Virtual Paralegals. Um, so in, in trying to get that mix of a variety of people who are in affecting change and then saying to our readers, here are these people who are affecting change. What do you think? good or bad, and allowing them to comment back and interact with us on that. We also probably asked our readers to uh, suggest the people they thought fit this profile. Uh, and I was really stunned by the reaction we got from them. We've had over 300 nominations uh, in a little over a month's time from readers all over across the country who said, you ought to think about profiling this person or that person as part of this project. One of the things about this project I think is different, at least for us, is we are trying to get readers to participate in it along the way in a lot of different ways, and that's just one of them. That something that intrigues me about this, I mean, you just kind of touched on this, is is the whole social media aspect on this, and you alluded to this earlier. Um, but to me, this seems to be a, kind of a natural extension of, of some of what you've been doing with the ABA Journal over the last couple of years uh, in general. I mean, you, you've taken the magazine from something that was a traditional print publication, and, and you've uh, launched it in a in a way uh, more significantly than it ever had been before online and, and uh, into social media. Why are you doing that? How do you see this sort of uh, uh, immersion in social media as tied to the mission of the ABA Journal? Well, you know, our our mission is to provide our readers with valuable information, um, the best that we can we can gather, and it doesn't. And we are platform agnostic. Uh, it doesn't matter to us how our readers consume that. Some people want to consume it in the print magazine. Terrific. And we've got a great one, and I think a better one than we've ever had in terms of the design and the content of the magazine. But we also need to be able to reach readers in whatever form they're comfortable receiving information. So, for instance, we, as you said, we've souped up our website significantly over the last couple of years. Uh, we have a Facebook page. We have a Twitter page. Uh, we are pushing information out through all of these channels. We push information out to legallyminded.com. 
Um, and so our approach to this is you don't have to come to us to get the information. We'll send it to you. We have a weekly email newsletter that reaches 400,000 lawyers nationwide, probably the biggest circulation of any such newsletter. We've got a monthly, we've got a daily. Uh, we push our information out in all sorts of manners that uh, readers are interested in receiving it. And can you give us an example of a standout innovator rebel that you are profiling? Yes, we can give you 50 <laughs> examples, but I'll, I'll narrow it down to two. Um, we're going to be visiting on this tour Kenneth Adams, who has the blog, Adams Drafting. And one thing that Ken is doing that's really great is in educating lawyers on how to be better contract writers, um, getting rid of the witnesseth and whereof to and the long um, legal jargon that has bought, wound up contract writing into such a jumbled mess that sometimes even the drafters can't understand it themselves. There have been many cases of litigation. Ken wrote a memo himself on just comma use on trying to interpret a billion dollar case. Um, so one thing that Ken does is he goes to law firms, he goes to corporations, he has seminars saying, look, we need to have plain English contracts. People need to be able to understand them. They need to know clearly what they say. This is going to clean up the system. This is gonna make life easier for lawyers and our clients. And because so much of the legal profession is based on precedent, kind of saying, all right, you need to do things differently. You can't just pull out that old contract. You need to start fresh. We need to have a standard here. It's been um, a difficult, a long road, but he's definitely making progress. And he's seen more and more law firms saying, this is going to be our standard. This is how we're going to do it. Um, another legal innovator um, who is definitely a rebel is David Latt who has the law blog above the law. And we've had commenters saying, well, isn't he kind of the Perez Hilton gossip queen of the legal world? But the fact of the matter is, three years ago, David Latt couldn't get a law firm to call him back when he wanted to say, so-and-so is laying off ex-lawyers. Today, law firms are sending him their press releases at the same time they're notifying employees. Law firms are coming to him, interacting with him. He has forced them to put information up on the web. He's forced them to a greater degree of transparency. Um, and so that's one way. Uh, those are two definitely on both sides of the spectrum of whether it's good, whether it's bad, they're definitely making things happen. And anything, anybody stand out in your mind beyond beyond those? Yeah, a couple I think uh, stand out for me. One would be a guy out in Santa Monica, California named Jeffrey Hughes. Um, Jeffrey uh, runs a, a law firm called Legal Grind. Um, and it's, it's a bit unusual. It's a, a coffee shop basically in Santa Monica. You can walk in, you can buy a cup of coffee. Uh, or you can sit down for a half an hour with a lawyer to advise you about how to do your will or how to get a divorce. And in that case, the coffee is free. It's sort of a very community law shop approach uh, to the practice of law, which I think is interesting. Uh, he wants to try and roll that out in other cities in conjunction with law schools to make it legal, uh, almost like a legal clinic in each city, which I think is an interesting notion. Another person that I would put on um, the list, I think, would be a guy that we are going to be seeing in uh, Lexington, Virginia, uh, the dean of the Washington Lee Law School. And what Washington Lee has done this starting this year is it's totally revamped its third-year curriculum. Um, gone are all the classes that you normally take. And instead, what people are doing is sitting in classrooms and going through simulations of various client activities, be it a mediation, a litigation, uh, a counseling session with a client. And then after they go through several of those, they're going out into the community, 
into clinics or actually into internships with practicing lawyers so they can work directly with real-life clients. So he's taken the third year of law school and remade it into something very, very practical, something that law firms and clients have said lawyers need to do more of in law school. You've done something... I'm not sure whether you characterize this as, as a journalism project per se, but you've done something unusual, which is that you've actually uh, drafted a manifesto to, to uh, sort of underscore what you're doing here. Uh, tell us about that and why you, why you decided to do that. Sure. Well, I mean, every every uh, you know movement has some sort of statement of principles, right? A declaration of some sort, and we thought the Rebels Project ought to have one. So we put together you know about five six paragraph draft of a manifesto, put it online, but in the form of a wiki so that our readers could come to the site and edit the document themselves in real time. And those, those edits would be reflected online. Over the course of a month, over 65 uh, people came to the site to edit the wiki. And so at the end of that month, we had a very different document than we started with. We had a document that had been edited, in effect, written by our community of readers. That was the final draft. We put it up online, locked down, and said, if you're committed to innovation in your corner of the profession, sign this document online. So far, over 150 people have done so, saying that they want to try and be uh, in their their corner of the profession as rebellious as the people we're writing about. A lot of what we're doing in this project is very interactive with readers, very participatory. Give you a couple quick examples. Uh, While we're on this tour, we're going to have a daily video tour diary, a quick update of the rebel that we've talked to just now, what our initial impressions are of them, who we're going to see next, a sort of behind-the-scenes look at the tour. Plus, whenever we are uh, driving down the highway in motion in our tour vehicle, which is provided to us by uh, one of our advertisers, Hertz Rental Car, uh, we have live webcams broadcasting onto the Internet. So you can literally listen in on us as we drive down the road to our next interview. Uh, plus, uh, when we, uh, whenever we're, we're moving, we have a constantly updated Twitter stream to let people know sort of behind-the-scenes things that are happening. We think it's a very interactive kind of experience, and we're getting a lot of good feedback from our readers. They like this different way of storytelling. I just thought I was going to uh, highlight a, a couple selections from this, this manifesto, uh, which is very brief, but let me just go over it quickly. It says, I'm a proud member of America's essential profession. Without lawyers and the rule of law, a free, fair, and open society is not sustainable. I recognize that the legal profession's traditions, the world's most respected legal education system, most successful law firms, and fairest court system were once radical innovations. In this time of economic crisis, I'm committed to improving these institutions and creating innovation in the practice of law. I will question and, when appropriate, change the status quo, and I will use technology to serve my clients and society. I help remake the profession I hold dear so it can continue to deliver on America's promise. I am an innovator, a maverick, a pathfinder. I am a legal rebel. Uh, it, it sounds like you're starting a movement here. I don't think it's starting a movement. I think it's identifying one. You know, one of the things journalists, I think, are best at, that, that better than anybody else in society, is being able to, to see a trend emerging, put their arms around it, describe it to a set of readers, and then put a label on it. And that's really what we've done with the Rebels Project. We're not inventing anything here. We're simply reporting back to our readers what we're seeing happening out there in the practice of law already. And I think that's descriptive of what's already going on. We're going to take a short break right now. When we return, we will hear more from our guests about the Legal Rebels and the Legal Rebels Tour. Imagine how much easier managing your practice would be if your practice management software was web-based. 
Your practice would be available anywhere you have an internet connection, completely secure, backed up continuously, and most importantly, easy to use, allowing you to spend your valuable time building your practice instead of managing technology. Start simplifying your practice today with Clio. Sign up for a free, fully functional 30-day trial at www.goclio.com. Use promotional code L2L for a 25% discount. Protect your legal practice with Herbert H. Landy Insurance Agency and feel confident that your professional liability insurance provides the best possible coverage for the best possible price. Whether you are establishing a new firm, adding an attorney to your team, or exploring new options for your existing firm, Herbert H. Landy Insurance Agency can match your specific needs with experience unmatched in the industry. Visit us at www.landy.com for a convenient online application or call us at 800-336-5422 for prompt and personal attention. Your practice deserves the best. And welcome back to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. We're back today with Ed Adams, the ABA Journal editor, and Rachel Zahorsky. She's the legal affairs writer for the ABA Journal. You are embarking on the Legal Rebels Tour 09. Visit a Rebel Day starting today, September 14th, through September 25th. Can you tell us about that? Uh, sure. Um, we're, we're headed... Uh uh, it's the Lexington to Lexington tour. Uh, we started out uh, yesterday night in Lexington, Massachusetts, and we will uh, wind our way down to Lexington, Virginia over the course of the next two weeks. Uh, and every day we are sitting down uh, with a different legal rebel uh, to talk to him or her about sort of the kind of changes um, that they are, are trying to make in the profession. Um, and also we're sort of giving people this behind the scenes look into how the sausage is made, I guess you'd say, uh, how, how you go about mounting one of these tours getting it on the road, the, the challenges, and, and the nice things about, about traveling. Um, I mean, last night um, we were uh, in the Aloft Hotel in Lexington, Massachusetts, and I know you were saying earlier today, Rachel, that that was just a really incredible kind of a hotel, uh, a very rebel-esque hotel. Yeah, definitely artsy, um, deco, atmosphere. It, it fit the bill perfectly. Um, we're going to be staying in a lot of nice places on the way, but the thing that's been really great about this tour is as a reporter based in Chicago, most of these profiles I wrote over the phone, you talk to the rebel, you talk to their wives, their husbands, um, in some cases, their kids try to get as big a picture of them as you can. I've talked to coworkers, judges they formerly clerked with, and you pick up little tidbits about who they are as a person and you get a really great idea of little rebellious things maybe that they did early on in their career that kind of led to this. Or for one of our rebels, um, Patrick Lamb, who was an attorney at Catton, he was a partner. When he left and started his firm, Valorum, which is a law firm that doesn't do um, hourly billing, most, nearly all of their billing arrangements are fee-based or actually success-based, where if one result happens successful, they get one fee. If another result happens, well, Maybe they're not going to get as much. And they have this kind of a betting structure. To him, that was the biggest risk he's ever taken. He said one day, this is it. We're going to start our firm. We're going to do it. Record, recruited four other partners. And they jumped off this ledge together. And it's turning out really well. So I think being able to go on the road and actually meet these people, we're able to put a little bit more of a human face behind what's doing it. What is the kind of person that would do this? We're picking up a lot of fun facts, a lot of tidbits 
that bring more of the human element that I think our readers want to read as well. What about you for you as a reporter? How different is this to be, as you say, not on the phone, to be combining twi- you know, Twittering and, and, and Facebook and, and everything else with sort of the traditional way of, of reporting? How are you finding this? I think the biggest difference is the feedback from the readers, the interaction. That has been so phenomenal. We're in the car. We're having our conversation on the webcam. And one reader tweets to me responding to our conversation on Kanye West. Or another one tweets to me saying, hey, for your song of the day, we want you to put up this song for you know a little bit of a rebellion. Or wait, where are you headed to next? I've just never had that kind of an interaction. As a reporter, you usually write a story and it, and it goes off. And sometimes you don't even see where it's printed. I mean, in the magazine, it's great. But once it's up online, I, I'm already moved on to the next story. Um, and this is, I'm actually kind of living in the stories that I've written, which is totally new and really wonderful. And you're not just getting an email comment back or a letter on a story that you wrote months ago. As we're reporting, as it's happening, readers are interacting with us and they've never had that opportunity before. And I think it's really phenomenal because I feel that I have to be even more on my toes. You know, I'm responding to them and what they want to read and what they want to hear. I'm like, oh, you want to know more about that? I can add it right now. We can get you a web feature. We can get you a a slideshow. We can show you more of what you want to see. Ed, from where you sit, uh, what are you uh, seeing? I mean, we've heard a lot over the last year in particular that, you know, uh, the, the effect of this economy on the legal profession may lead, may, may create changes uh, that uh, that will be long-lasting, that, that the, 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 the structure, the, the, the business model of the legal profession may never be what it's been before. And you're, you're focusing here on people who are innovating in ways, some of them long before this uh, economic meltdown came along. But, you know, what are you hearing from them? What are you seeing about the, the changes that are coming in the legal profession right now? I think the final answer to your question is unknown at this point, first of all. Uh, I, I, I don't. I was hoping you would know I, it. <laughs> I don't. You know, one of the things we have on this tour is uh, in our car, we have a magic eight ball for uh, you just twist, <laughs> turn it <laughs> over and you get an answer. Uh, and I, I wish I had it with me right now. Um, I think that what we are seeing, um, and this will surprise probably very few of your readers, is a movement toward a commoditization of the law. Uh, particularly anywhere below the big firm model, but to some extent within big firms as well. Um, I think that people are, the clients are being savvier about how they select lawyers and what they pay them. I think that you are going to see far more resistance, even after this recession is over with, uh, to the idea that, that they're going to pay very junior lawyers at these big firms um, the kind of uh, rates that they were willing to pay them beforehand. And consequently, you're seeing already the big firms step away uh, from the pay structure that they had in many cases. They have delayed the entry of some of their entering classes, delayed summer associate hiring. Um, If you are a 2L, second-year law student, right now in law school, uh, and you had hoped to go to one of these big firms, you may have a problem trying to land a job. Um, And that's something that I don't think anybody could have said any time before, at least in my lifetime. Uh, This has got to be the biggest economic dislocation to the legal profession, uh, at least since the Great Depression. And when this is over, uh, what happens with the Legal Rebels Project? Is this a prelude to something else? Do you see building on this in some way, or uh, do you move on to the next project? We've talked about uh, building on it. I don't think we've reached any final determination yet. Uh, it is a it is a sprawling project. I should just mention to your listeners that uh, this is playing out over the course of three months. Uh, we started posting profiles back in late August, and we won't stop until uh, Thanksgiving time in November. 
uh, and we're posting a minimum of three profiles a week to our website. Each one of those profiles comes, whether we visit the person in person or not, each comes with a multimedia feature, photo slideshow, video, audio podcast, etc. sometimes some live chats. Um, so we've got an awful lot of moving parts yet to come in this project, and we're only on day one of the two-week tour that will be playing out online over the next couple of weeks. Also in October, we're going to have an event we call 24 Hours of Rebels. It's sort of a virtual conference of some of the most innovative thinkers in the legal profession, not just the people who are on our list of 50 rebels, but people who are thinking and writing about the future of the profession, some of them in practice, some of them in academia and other settings. And over the course of two days, 12 hours a day, uh, we're going to be posting an essay an hour from some of the most creative thinkers and sprinkled throughout the day will be opportunities for our readers to interact with these people in real time through online radio programs, podcasts, live chats, a webinar, and some other features. So we've got a lot of stuff to play out before this finally ends in November. Uh, But it's gotten so far terrific reaction from our readers. Um, And I should mention another aspect of this that that we haven't touched on yet. One of the things I think this project does is make people look at the ABA journal and the larger ABA in a different light. Um, On Twitter the other day, one of our readers said, I have a hard time putting the words ABA and rebel in the same sentence. But, he said, I'm getting used to it. And that's exactly the kind of reaction we got. You know, and people sometimes think that the ABA and the ABA Journal are stodgy, out of touch, out of step, not with it in terms of technology. This kind of project makes them look at what we do in a totally different light. And it's terrific to see. I would say, I think it'd be a very fair statement to say, if we let this project end in November, we wouldn't be doing our jobs. Because I think the biggest thing that's going to come, the biggest change that's happening in the legal industry is a greater movement to greater transparency. Um, Law firms are not able to do things under the radar. Um, Deals can't be masked in legal jargon. You've got GCs of Fortune 500 companies who have their own blogs and they're blogging about what they do. They're blogging about cases, sometimes to the aggravation of the other side. You've got, um, you know, the deal maker of the year, Wall Street M&A attorneys who have Twitter and Facebook and they're commenting on what's happening in the news. They're going on TV stations saying, this is what's going on. This is what needs to change. You've got many, many blogs, many commenters who are reporting employees who say, this is what happened at my firm today. You can't keep things under the radar anymore. There's a lot of transparency that's going on, curtains that are being pulled back. And if we didn't continue to report on that, then we would be failing our readers. So I think we're definitely going to see more rebels more coverage, and that's going to be because more attorneys are bringing things to light and opening up these discussions. And I just want to ask, since you you kind of just just raised this a little bit, but the ABA Journal itself, uh, you know, I alluded to the fact that the, you've been doing a lot more online. This project uh, indicates uh, really kind of the diversity of, of uh, ways in which you're using media, old media and new media. Uh, what what's the future of the ABA Journal? What's what can we see uh, a couple of years down the road for the for the magazine, and, and what other changes will be coming? Well, I think uh, one of the things that you're going to see is more what I call franchise projects, um, things like this, uh, which it quite possibly could return uh, in a year's time. Things like uh, every December, we for the last three years, we have done what we call the Blog 100, which is our editors look at the 100 best legal blogs on the internet. 
Um, we have a directory online on abajournal.com now of over 2,500 legal blogs, every one we can find that is updated on a regular basis. We try and narrow that list down. This year, we've asked readers to suggest blogs they think we ought to consider for that 100 list. And then in December, when the list is published, we'll cut it up into 10 different categories and invite our readers to come online and say, within this category, be it uh, criminal law blogs or law blogs from uh, legal academics or what have you, tell us which one you think is best. And that always generates an enormous amount of traffic. I think you're going to find over the course of the next couple of years, we're going to be doing more big projects like this, projects that span print and online, um, and that use all of these great tools online uh, to try and, and tell stories in a different way. I think you're also going to see a greater synergy between the magazine and the web. They're not treated as separate entities. Even for our smaller stories, the written story will be in the magazine, and there'll be a web bug saying, for more on this, to watch a video or an interview of someone who we didn't get to maybe expand about as much as we wanted to in the magazine, go to the web. And on the web, we're going to have... Um, you know, stories, there have been plenty of day-to-day -day stories that I've written about on the web where we put a map, something that was more graphic in the magazine, you know, driving our web readers to the magazine to check that out. So definitely there's a cross of traffic. It's not, here's our magazine readership, they want this. Here's our web readership, they want this. We're actually marrying the two and driving people to multiple platforms to read either the same story or different angles of the same story to get a better picture. Our time is just about up uh, for this show, but we always like to give our guests the final word uh, with any kind of concluding thoughts they want to uh, share with us. And, and also, uh, if you would like to tell our listeners how to follow up with you, I know that uh, you have a, a legalrebels.com uh, website that has information on all of this and, and uh, information on how to follow you on Twitter and Facebook and, and wherever else. Um, uh, but Rachel, let's start with you. Let's get your kind of final thoughts on, on the Legal Rebels project. And also, if our listeners would like to follow up with you, how can they best do that? Um, well, as far as Legal Rebels go, I couldn't be more excited about this. I really do encourage as much reader interaction, good, bad, different, um, eccentric. We want to hear all of your thoughts. So definitely, if there's things that we're doing on the road, um, whether it's our conversations in the in the Legal Rebels vehicle or in our interviews with our, with our Rebels, if there's more that our readers want to know, we definitely want to deliver it. And this type of an interactive format is something they don't often have. Um, stories haven't been put to bed yet, so please keep on interacting with us. You can find me on Twitter, at Law Scribbler. Um, you can find me on my email on the ABA webpage when I'm not reporting on Legal Rebels. I'm reporting for Business of Law. So definitely bring those you know, stories and ideas my way. And we're just, we're just looking forward to having a good time the next two weeks. Thank you, Annette. Well, certainly I'd encourage your readers to visit us at LegalRebels.com and particularly over the next two weeks at LegalRebels.com slash tour, where you'll see all the tour information. You can track us on a on a map. Our, uh, our current location is always mapped 24-7. Um, you can see the live web video on that page. You can check in on our daily video tour diaries and the profiles that we are posting along the way. Um, also, uh, though, for those of you who use Twitter, I'd urge you to subscribe to our Twitter feed, twitter.com slash Legal Rebels, because we're updating that uh, multiple times an hour. Uh, and of course, uh, check into abajournal.com uh, when the Legal Rebels project is not running, so you can stay abreast of all the legal news, because that site is updated constantly throughout every day. 
uh, with the latest developments that are of interest to lawyers. Well, Bob, that does it for this week's Lawyer to Lawyer. Remember, for our listeners, you can check out all of our Lawyer to Lawyer shows at LegalTalkNetwork.com. And let me add a special thanks to our guests, Ed Adams and Rachel Zahorsky, for taking the time on the Legal Rebels tour to actually come into our studio and be with us today. It's been a real pleasure to see both of you. Thanks a lot. And we'll be back next week to discuss another great legal topic. When you want legal, think lawyer to lawyer. Thanks for listening to Lawyer to Lawyer with Robert Ambrogi and J. Craig Williams. Every week, a new legal topic that you won't want to miss. We hope you'll listen again and check out our other shows on the Legal Talk Network. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Song. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.